RWJ Barnabas Health Telemed offers you two convenient ways to see a doctor anytime, anywhere, without having to come in for an appointment. If you're in need of urgent care, you can use our app to connect with a provider 24-7, right on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. Or you can use our website to schedule a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health Medical Group provider or specialist. And you can even register as a new patient. Book an appointment online at rwjbh.org slash telemed. Your safety has always been our top priority, and we've taken every precaution. So don't delay your care any longer. Get started today at rwjbh.org slash telemed. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Everybody, I'm Matt Lachlan. Welcome to this new edition of Speak of the Devils presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. And we've got a new member of the cast, and we're always happy to expand our list that joins us on the show. And I'm not talking about guests. We've got a very special guest coming up, but Jessica Kent joins us for our program today. And Jessica, I'm excited about our little first collaboration. How are you today? Yeah, likewise, Matt. Happy to be here. Um, I'm good. I'm actually coming to you from Canada. So uh, it's sunny today. It's not bad. Weather seems about the same. So uh, I'm happy. (laughs) So give us a little bit of your background. I know there's a hockey component to it, obviously. Yeah. So um, since early 2016, I've worked uh, with the Edmonton Oilers, um, community reporter there, and uh, slid into more of a hockey role for the 2018-2019 season. Uh, My first, uh, I guess my first role in that new hockey position as community reporter and hockey reporter, Oilers TV reporter, uh, was Dallas for the NHL draft. And then I was off to Europe where the Oilers actually played the devils uh mm-hmm. in sweden yes. so that was actually my first taste of of the devils um in action uh live and uh here we are today so i'm, I'm really happy to be part of this team and uh to get to know sherry ross a little bit better because she is wow what an inspiration she is our guest and she is was and will forever be associated with the New Jersey Devils for her long relationship as a radio broadcaster, but she also followed the team when she was working in the journalism world. And she's very popular with our fans uh, because of what she brought to the table. But I think part of her popularity as well is because she is a barrier breaker. She was the first woman to sit in a hockey booth and provide analysis, commentary. Uh, She precedes uh, Susan Waldman, who does it for the New York Yankees and does it very well. But Sherry was there before Susan. Sherry paved the way for many of the women that we hear and see today in our TV and radio world. So we're excited about catching up with her. But I want to kind of get your story. Who were some of your influences as you were uh, trying to break into the media world? Yeah, so... um... I started as a news reporter, actually, um, and I moved to a small market in Canada, um, Saskatoon, medium market, I should say. Um, I was lucky that I didn't have to go to a teeny tiny little town, um, as a lot of reporters do. But I started off as a reporter and uh, anchor for Global News. Um, And honestly, I grew up watching CTV News here. 
um, in Edmonton. It's a major network. And just, I, I was so inspired by those anchors and those journalists. And I actually remember I was in uh, brownies growing up. And I think, I think there's brownies in the States, right? Mm -hmm. Like Girl Scouts type thing. Yeah. We did a tour of the news station when I was in grade two, second grade. I was so inspired. I remember that trip so vividly. And I think that's kind of what spurred my love of television and broadcasting and media was just being there and just in awe of the cameras and the lights, like everything looked so Cool. So I always had that in the back of my mind. And the photo I had with Daryl McIntyre, the uh, six o'clock anchor back then, uh, hung on my fridge proudly. And I, I looked at that day in and day out. And I think, honestly, that is what did it was the memories of that tour. And I just grew up and I, I knew this is exactly what I wanted to do. And like I said, I was in the news until um, January 2016. And then I, I made the switch over to hockey and, and like Sherry, um, I kind of fell into it and it was a happy accident. And I'm really glad I did because here I'm working for New Jersey Devils now. So life is funny how it happens, but uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, it's never a straight line life, but uh, where it is. leads us oftentimes is an interesting and exciting place. And so on that note, we will transition from our open here and welcome in our guest, a woman with whom I spent many years in the broadcast booth as we say hello to Sherry Ross. Sherry, it's so good to spend some time with you and uh, let you tell your wonderful story, but also to get the Devils fans to catch up on what's new with you. And so, therefore, what are you doing these days? What's uh, keeping you busy as busy as we can be in uh, the pandemic? Well, it's as you know, I was always involved in cat rescue, so I've had more time, a lot more time to do that. So actually, last night I was uh, on a late night run to Union to the emergency vet on Route 22 with a sick foster cat. So he's, that was last night and this morning. So that's taken up a lot of my time. And like everybody else, I was happy for hockey to come back because that gave me something to watch on TV and Route 4 and all of that. Professionally, I've, you know, I'm, I'm retired. So I worked, uh, I did work for two seasons with the NWHL, yes. with the Metropolitan Riveters. And that was a great experience, getting to know these women athletes and their stories and how committed they are to promoting the sport and really making it something that hopefully will work in the future. I know it's got some hiccups now. Of course, the pandemic hasn't helped that as it hasn't helped anything else. But these are really remarkable women. And I'm just so thrilled that this has sort of gotten a foothold and hopefully that will continue to grow. And I was happy to be part of it for a couple of seasons. What did you take out of those uh, couple of years that you worked with them as professional hockey or just women's hockey in general continues to grow in in North America, but particularly on the professional side as it gets a toehold in our sports world? I think the biggest thing to me, the biggest surprise, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say that it was a surprise, is how how sophisticated it is. Like, you know, without following it much other than the Olympics while I was working in the NHL, because you don't have time to do much else other than do the NHL. Um, I, the level of coaching is very high. The determination of the athletes is very high. Most of them have jobs, like a lot of Olympians do. You know, they're, they're actually working in a career while they're also trying to train at this very high level to be on the world stage. So I, I, was, I was impressed by that. And the fact that they know they have to sell the sport, that, that they've got small crowds right now. They don't have any uh, corporate backing or much corporate backing. So they, they, they really have to sort of scramble to get funding for everything. 
but they're devoted to it. But the level of play is exceptional. It's just terrific. And the fact that they, one, uh, one athlete was working in Rochester, New York. Uh, I think she was like a, some kind of engineer, something very high level that I couldn't even explain what she did. And she would drive down twice a week for games and for practices. And that's just, you know, it, it was, it was really impressive and, and very moving to see parents come with their young kids, boys and girls, but mostly girls. And the girls would be waiting for autographs after. And it was just so exciting to know that this is going to be the generations to come. These will be the girls who will be able to play college and Olympics and hopefully professional someday. And it was, it was just very encouraging to see all that and really inspiring. Sherry, since you broke out on the scene as a journalist, um, what would you say has been the biggest change for women in hockey? Would it be women playing professional hockey or, or what would that be? I think that's one thing in terms of the actual athletic side is seeing women getting involved now coming from these programs and going into scouting and getting executive jobs at the NHL level um, and the, the high professional level over in Europe as well. So we're seeing women getting into these jobs that we didn't see when I was starting out. And I couldn't even have imagined it happening then. So I'm very That's excited amazing. about that to see these women, some of whom I know, like Cammy Granado, I got to know a little bit. She also did a couple of years of broadcasting in California. So to be able to see these women step into these jobs and, and it's not, the thing that always kind of bothers me is when somebody makes a big deal about a woman getting this job because she's a woman, but hopefully someday everybody will just be judged on the fact that this is their passion. They have a talent for it. They, they want to do it really badly and they can succeed at this. And that's, that's the biggest difference for me. Being that you are such a pioneer in your industry, um, how were you first perceived when you did your first play-by-play -play against the Ottawa Senators? How were you perceived? It's such a male-dominated sport. Sport It was back then, and it still is. Yeah, we haven't seen women break into play-by-play -play yet, but hopefully we will someday. Yeah. But um, unfortunately, there was a series of events with Matt's family that led to me getting that opportunity. It wasn't something I personally was striving for. But it was a tremendous experience. And I have so much respect for the people that do that because it's very hard. It's really hard. But it went by like that. It went by and it felt like five minutes because everything was so fast. And as a play by play person, you're really on top of everything. You're on top of every everything that happens and you're in control. You're the traffic cop. You're doing the ads. You're making sure that your color person is able to get in and out. And to have that partnership going on, but being sort of in charge of it, as Matt was when he and I worked together. That's a real skill. And I hope women get to do that as well someday. It wasn't something I personally wanted to do, but I was thrilled to have the experience, uh, the opportunity to do that. But because of what you did, you were given that opportunity and deservedly so. And now the path is open for women to dream of being a play-by-play -play announcer. And it's not going to be an easy task. First off, it's not an easy job to get anyway, but it's still not going to be easy. It's not like suddenly we've become this big woke world and all right, yeah, everybody, let's embrace everybody far more so than last year, five years or 10 years mm -hmm. ago. So there's still work to be done. Uh, by the way, Mike Tirico, who is now an, a big voice in hockey, it has said it's the most difficult sport. He realized that <laughs> as much as he loved it. It's the hardest sport to call mm -hmm. uh, because you can't take your eye off the puck and look at your notes and a lot of other reasons he's given. At any rate, so peeling back to how you got to that point and, you know, Jessica used the term pioneer. I mean, 
not only on a broadcasting side, but you were breaking in as a writer when women were just starting to crack that door open. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of pushback on the other side of the door. Like, <laughs> there was. What, what, why are we doing this from old curmudgeonly people? So how did it all come about for you that journalism became something you wanted to pursue? Well, now young girls are seeing women in what was my position and AJ Malesko and other people that are doing these jobs. When I was in college, that didn't exist. So I was actually going to be a veterinarian. Um, That did not work out, but things are okay. I'm not complaining. But the year I was in my sophomore year of college is when the women first started challenging for the right to have equal access in the dressing rooms, notably in baseball. So I all of a sudden went, it was like a light went off on my head because I'd been a hockey fan since I was in high school. And I thought, I'm good at writing. I love it. Why not combine those two things now that there's this path that hadn't been there before? So those women were pioneers for me, the first flight of women getting into uh, getting into sports. And I just went, I can I can do this. I this is something I want to do. I immediately changed my major. I started working more in English and journalism. And right out of the bat, I was able to get jobs at small newspapers doing high school sports and any, you know, as Matt, you did too, you start with whatever jobs you can get that will give you experience that will get you contacts with people. So I started doing that. And in 1978, I first started doing hockey for paper in New Jersey and it took off from there, but there was pushback. They would, you would go into some buildings and immediately I, I would usually often be the only woman reporter there so the security guard would stop you at the door. You can't you can't possibly be doing this. I don't know. Why, I don't know why you're here because there weren't a lot of women traveling around. So that every time you went somewhere, you were just this novelty. Um, but by proving myself as a writer, by proving myself as a hard worker and a person who had a background in hockey knowledge, because I've been following it for years, um, the, the writers themselves were very accepting. It was the players who took a little it's I can understand walking into a room of naked people it's not something I cut I was cut out for and of course the players were had to get used to that but there was very little pushback from the players it was mostly like the older people who were sort of scattered around hockey that 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 certainly went away after a few years but there's you know you still get run-ins Sherry, you use the term, um, sorry, Matt, you use the term prove yourself a lot. Do you think women still have to do that in this industry? Absolutely. And I think any person that's in a minority group of any kind that goes into a profession that's dominated by other another group, usually white men, honestly. But um, so you have to sort of uh, show that you, you know your stuff that you're not just there because it's you, you want to make news. I never wanted to make news. I wanted to report the news and report the sports and get to know people and, and just do something I love so much. So I, I remember one thing, it was kind of funny. It was, uh, I was covering the Rangers and I was in the press box with, I think it was Howie Rose and Mike Farrell and Mike Shalin, who were all very nice guys. But the first couple of times they were like giving me trivia questions as if to say this is she kind of she just here because at that point everybody was making a big deal whenever a woman went into a dressing room there was always a tv camera that immediately went oh there's a woman in the dressing room like how what what are the guys going to do is you know is there going to be a fit here or something but um so they probably the first couple of games just sort of kept throwing questions at me and then they went okay i was like i was accepted into the club 
And that, that, was, that was just one of the things that really stuck out. And then, and then they were very nice and they were telling me like the routine, there's a routine you go to when the coach speaks and where you have to make your way through the building, through the labyrinth of whatever building you're in. And they were helpful in that regard, but it was a little proving ground for me there. I passed. Uh, you did with flying colors and you know we chuckle at it because it's so long ago and it's kind of a funny story and those those are you know and, and mike recently passed away but the other two guys uh mike shalen uh the other two guys are fantastic and supportive but you know who else has to go through that right i'm sure they didn't have to answer a quiz from someone who was 20 years older than they when they first got into the business so it's got to be uh frustrating and it, it had to be a level of anger too. like why the hell do I have to prove myself all the time I belong here I, you, I, I don't I don't think anger is the right word um and I never felt insulted by it I felt insulted when I just got when I had a credential and you get stopped at the door I'm like uh, you know I'm I'm entitled to be here mm -hmm. you know this is my job and you're preventing me from doing my job so that was frustrating but in terms of um acceptance if you want to call it that I, I I was so confident in myself that I never felt I don't I don't have to argue with you you know I, I belong here let me do my job that's all I'm asking let me do my job this is something I really really want to do and I believe I'm good at it so I I, I don't ever think I let it got me down let it get me down confidence. I like the way you use that word and to be honest as a woman in this industry um, I'm of the mentality Make it till you make it. <laughs> would you, I guess, what kind of advice would you give to women who are trying to enter not only the hockey industry, but any male dominated industry? Well, that's part of it. And, and the, the other part is to be as prepared as you can be. Uh, years ago, I read Barbara Walters book and it's called Audition. And the reason she called it that is because she always felt when she went on to do the news that she was auditioning all over again. Like she had to have, she had that pressure to sort of represent all women, even that that wasn't what she was asking for, but that sort of is how it feels. And it felt mm -hmm. that way constantly. It's sort of, it's in the, it got in the background more as, as I got, kept going and kept getting comfortable. Fake it till you make it. Well, that really describes me moving into broadcasting because when Lou Lamorello asked me to do it, I had never ever conceived of a career in radio. I hadn't, I took maybe one broadcasting class when I was in college. So this was just something that other than being interviewed on the air, because you'd be an intermission guest sometimes, sometimes with Matt, I believe I was. Um, so you, you would just get into the situation where you just have to say, I, I can do this. And if it's a new challenge, broadcasting was a completely new challenge. And if I ever listened to the recordings from the first year, I, I can't, I can't even imagine how horrendous it probably was, but you have some, <laughs> it was probably you know, better than you think, but I think everyone in broadcasting has it. Do I really sound like that? I can't yeah, believe yeah. That, yeah. That, that that's me. But it, did, or, or did I say, oh, that much? You know? Yeah. 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 No. You just start counting them. <laughs> exactly. That, 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 that's a that's a common trait that we all share. But just to let you know, one of the, my summertime projects is going to be to dig out the radio history of the New Jersey Devils. I mean, there are tapes and CDs and DVDs <laughs> spread out all over creation. No one's ever kind of put it together. And there's probably a ton that's been lost to time and moving from one building to another. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I, I'll, I, I'll 
trying to put that together for this summer and and, and kick that off. But my point is, uh, when we find one, when we find them, we'll uh, we'll dish them <laughs> off, and you'll find that it wasn't as bad as you thought. Mike Miller was the guy that you were working with, but I'm just wondering what it was like when Lou approached you and said, "Yeah, I I I, I know you, I trust you." You got the goods. I know you know the sport. I know you know my team. Here, I want you to do this. Like, what was that transition like as you moved into the booth? Well, first of all, it was a a shocking job offer, you know, because I hadn't expected it to happen. But one you Um, can't turn down, right? Well, one of the things I always think about is, and it was actually a TV show I was watching the other day, but when when like a Quentin Tarantino offers you a job, and says, okay, can you ride a horse? Can you fight with a sword? You go, of course I can do that. You might not even know which end of the horse is which, but this person wants you to do that job. And that's how I felt with with Lou. I felt comfortable enough. And the other thing, Lou wouldn't do this for the headlines. If you know Lou Lamorello, he was not doing stuff to, to get on Twitter and make something really promotional. He thought I could do this job and it would be a unique situation. And it would appeal to the female fans. That was a big part of it also. But he wouldn't have put me in that job if he didn't think I could do the job. And I felt with his backing behind me, I'm like, I will figure out a way to do this. Same thing when I got asked to do play-by-play. I'm like, I will study Matt. I will figure out what it takes to do this. And that's that's how I will approach it. And that's how I approached the initial job. And once I started doing it, I went, this is great. I mean, I loved writing. It's, it's a totally different um, work the way you set up your work the way you're when you're doing a game you're right on top of it as a broadcaster and then when it's over it's over like you're done you're, but you have this adrenaline like you like you just came off stage like you just did a concert and you're coming off stage and it's like oh, I'm still up for a while when you're writing all your work is after the game you know so it's it's like hours of like getting your words right and you can edit when you write you can't edit when you talk the first word out of your mouth is what gets out on the air so you really have to be more accurate with what you're saying. So it was completely different, even though I was in the same sphere. You know, I was involved in sports, broadcasting and writing. They're two different things, but I, I love them both. I thought the broadcasting job was unbelievable to me. And I just had such a great run with it. So what was the lure when you left after the first Stanley Cup? Was it to go back into writing, which was really your first love? Uh, I hate to say this, but it was mostly financial. The, the situation at the time was not was not uh, equitable. <laughs> the, the writing job was much better mm-hmm. uh, and financially. Um, so I went, I went back to that from 95 to, I guess, uh, when, the, when the Devils moved into the Prudential Center is when they changed uh, the color analyst. Mm-hmm. So I, then, and that was, again, Lou approaching me twice. He came to me twice. So when Lou comes to you twice with a job offer, you don't say no. You just no. don't. You just you say, I'm going with this. The Quentin Tarantino of uh, yeah. hockey broadcasting. Quentin Tarantino, exactly. <laughs> um, maybe, a little, maybe a little less violent, but um, <laughs> but yeah. So that so then, you know, and then got to go to the new building, had the Stanley Cup run in 2012. All the highlights that you saw Marty Brodeur make and Patrick Eliash. I got to see that as a broadcaster and be in the immediacy of it, like right as it was happening. And man, that was a lot of fun. I had a good run. Yeah, and Jessica, I'll let you step in here in a second. But Lou Lamorello has an image 
of a guy who's taciturn. And there are some things, there are rules he has, and you've got to follow them. And he has adjusted some of those rules as time has gone on, but there is no facial hair, as we know, until you get to the playoffs. I didn't have a problem with that. But I tell everybody, oh, by the way, for this guy who you think is just, you know, conservative, stuck in an era that no longer exists, he hired Sherry Ross. He, yeah. he, he broke a mold. He changed broadcasting in many ways, as you did once you took the reins uh, and, and ran with it. But he was the one who said, you know what? I think there's room for this woman in the booth and she'll do a good job. So, you know, that's part of his legacy as well. It is. And, you know, and you throw in, you know, bringing the Russians over. I mean, you look at all the things he did. He was he was thinking out. I guess they say, say it's a cliche, but outside the box, he really was. He was he was coming up with things that were different, and again, not for public not for publicity, publicity's sake, because he's the last person I think interested in publicity. But he finds people and he finds ways to do the job, and he wants to put the best product on the ice or on the air, as the case may be. So to have somebody like that in your corner, you know, who else would you want? backing you to do something like this. Do you think you being the first female play-by-play in the NHL, do you think that uh, brought in more female interest into the sport? I think that it did because I would get asked to do high school sports banquets for girls, you know, for girls athletics to talk to Girl Scouts, to talk to uh, women's colleges and things like that because there was suddenly an interest in this. And I would have women young women come up to me at these events and it wouldn't just be that they were interested in sports. One wanted to go into the Navy and be a fighter pilot. And I'm like, what does that have to do with me? And she said, because women like you are doing things that we couldn't do before. She goes, so I want to do that. I want to do something. And that almost brings you to tears because you're going like what I do and what a Navy pilot does (laughs) are two very different things. But the fact that you're breaking some barrier so that another girl can think, if she can do that, I can do this. And maybe more women will get into sports as well. As a matter of fact, there have been more women doing, you know, color, as color analysts around the league. And hearing a female broadcaster's voice on sports is not going to be as unusual as it was for people. I don't even think twice about it now because I just think these women are qualified to do the job. And I, I want the best broadcasting team to cover the event I'm watching. And if it happens to be a woman, then that's, that's who you go with. I just think they've added so much so far. And I think we're going to see more of that in the future. So with that being story, keeping that story in mind, what would you say is the greatest accomplishment throughout your whole career? I mean, I absolutely love that story, but, and I'm sure there's many, many more like that. Thank you for me on this, but I can't think of one story. I just think I'm really proud of what I did for the 10 years, the, the last 10 years um, of broadcasting. And I, and I think there are people who were influenced by it. I know there were female fans. I would talk to the fan club and there were a lot of people who were behind me and always were very encouraging to what I was doing. And, and I appreciate them so much. So the fact that if I had any impact, any help in cracking that, you know, the glass ceiling, I, I'm, I'm very proud of what I did. And again, I didn't do it to be the first woman to do it, but the fact that I was, I'm proud of that. And I hope there's many more that will follow. As well, you should be. Has that sense of being the first and the pioneer and laying the groundwork for so many others, has that become more important to you as time has gone, as you reflect back and you realize the influence that you had versus I'm in the midst of doing this and yeah, if somebody wants to come along for the ride, 
I'm glad that uh, I've opened that door. But now that you look back at what you've been able to accomplish and what you've what your work has led to with others pursuing the same field, how does that make you feel? First of all, I was ticked off. <laughs> I wasn't ready to leave yet. But um, after things settle down and you go, yeah, I am. I am really proud of that. I am proud that there's a body of work that people enjoyed. Not everybody. Same as with any other person who was in the public eyes. There were people that didn't like what I did, thought I was too critical or thought I was too easy. You always get, you always get one or the other or both. So you have to take something away from it other than the fact that you just did a job for all those years, I did something that was important to some people. I did something I loved, but the fact that other people liked it too, and maybe it inspired other people to get into it. That's a, that's a pretty good, I'm not ready to croak yet or anything, but it's a pretty good <laughs> legacy to leave. Sure. You, know, if you want to call it that. And if, absolutely, you know, I, I hope you didn't think I had like a bucket of dirt here. That I, I thought, you know, I thought you had the cemetery plot or something already, but I'm, I'm not doing, I, I'm doing okay right now, Matt. Do I look all right? Um, just I feel fine. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, a, it's just a funny thing to talk about what other people think of what you did. I can't judge what other people think of what I did. I can only look at it from my own perspective and like, did I do the best I could? I think I did. And I, like no I said, question. I had a, I had a great time. I had a great time. This was a great job. I mean, I got to meet who other job you get where you get to go to Vancouver and Quebec City and, you know, all these great places. You get to meet people from Germany and Sweden and different parts of Russia and French Canadians and Finns and Norwegians. And, you know, there's very few jobs where you get that kind of contact to meet all these fascinating people and hear about how they grew up and how they got into hockey and what their parents did to help them get there, which I always loved the background stories with these guys because they're so different and yet they all come together in this, in this great sport. So well, that leads, I'm sorry, Jess, that leads me to my no. question about your background story. You talked about parents, your mom was a pioneer in her own right, wasn't she? And she fought to, she fought to get women's that sports my, that at was my aunt. high school. Oh, that was your aunt. aunt. That's, I thought yeah. it was your mom. Okay. I'm yeah. sorry. My aunt, Evie, my Evelyn Hockenberry, she passed away in 2008 and she, my aunts and uncles were all very close to my family, we all sort of grew up on the same street. So it's not like an aunt that's like away in Ohio and you only get to see her at the holidays. They taught us to play, you know, she taught me to play softball. She started a softball league and ran off when the, they didn't want girls to be on the same field as the boys because apparently I don't, it would damage the field. I don't know. So she, she was always fighting with the township uh, department of recreation <laughs> to get us to have equal rights. And then when I was in high school, uh, and I played field hockey and lacrosse. Uh, they didn't want to give us varsity letters because they felt that demeaned the boys' varsity letters. So my 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 group of athletes fought for the first time to get varsity letters for girls. So my senior year, we got varsity letters. And I think the boys felt fine. I don't think they were. <laughs> I don't think it hurt them their feelings at all. So, yeah, so my aunt was really inspirational in a lot of that uh, like, no, this is not good enough. You know, you're you're entitled to this without being she would never have called herself a feminist, but she definitely was because she she argued for these equal, equal rights for the, the girl athletes. Well, it's true what they say. Strong women raise strong women. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So take us through uh, some of the highlights of your career. I know you've. Uh, let me just get this right. You have covered the Stanley Cup finals on 15 occasions and you actually covered 
the Devils' first cup win. Devils fans know what that experience is like being on the other side, but explain to us what it's like making the call, being the first one to let fans know, hey, we won. That was at the Meadowlands. Our our booth at that time, our press box was located in the middle of the lower bowl. So you've got fans, you've got fans, Jessica, you can't even imagine all the press boxes now are up in, you know, heaven. Um, But then (laughs) basically, yes. And, but then you were, there were the row in front of us was fans. The sections on the side of us were fans. So you've got this whole building going completely berserk on a Sunday afternoon for a win that nobody thought was coming. And, and just the way they did it, because they just, that whole playoff run was incredible. And to know these players and when you go back to the reunions and see them again, it's just, it's just so incredible what they got to share with one another and to be there in the crowd. And I, I bought one of those panoramic shots that a photographer took and I was in a pink jacket. So you can see me clearly in the press box. And in one corner is my aunt and my uh, brother, Tyler, uh, brother, Randy both passed away since, but it was great for them to experience that with me and to be broadcasting this in the middle it was, it was very surreal. And it's one of those things I would probably remember more about that run than anything else that I did subsequent to that, because the Stanley cup is just such an amazing, hard thing to win. And unless you're on the inside, you don't see how really, really difficult it is and what kind of price these guys pay. So to be there and to be there for the first one and to have these fans who kept thinking that their team was going to be taken away from them, to have them be a part of that and be in the, be in the dressing room after to do some interviews was, it was really a great run. It was, it was a lot of fun. Players get all asked all the time, where do you keep your ring? Where do you keep your ring? It's in a box, in a safe deposit box. Do you break it out every once in a while? I, I do. Um, Just wear it around the house. Uh, yeah. Because there's nowhere else to go in COVID. Well, it's so it's so big. For a guy, it's not such a big thing. But it's like from here to here. And like, where am I going to wear that? So I take it out when when I'm doing some event where, the, you know, if I'm talking to any groups or something, I, I would bring it to those events. I take it out for like Christmas or Thanksgiving when, my niece and nephew want to see it because <laughs> yeah. it is pretty spectacular and it, it's a really cool thing another thing that that lou did was you know we got her you got to sign your name on a card and that got engraved on the inside of the ring with your your, your like your autograph your signature and that was really cool and it's just it's definitely one of the most valued items that i have yeah, you break it out every once in a while if you're going to the movies and like you just slowly <laughs> hand the money over. Well, it's contactless now, but as you go to tap, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't you just mind me. Slow. There's yes, oh, that's where a ring. was I? Yes, uh, <laughs> that, yes, that is a Stanley Cup ring. No, on and, and then when it's usually friends, husbands, when they find out that I've got one, then they've got to see it. Yeah, you know that's when you have to bring it out. And then you're the coolest person in the in the room, of course. Oh yeah, because you know how many Everyone's people know anybody friend. that has a ring. I, and, you know, I didn't play any. I didn't get hurt to earn it or anything. But it's it's just a very it's a very cool reminder of what that season was all about. Yeah, Lou is very generous in that respect, including mm-hmm. everyone. So, who are some of your favorite Devils and why? Oh, you're going to make this really hard. Um, I'm going to skip the obvious because the obvious would be Martin Brodeur. Patrick Eliash is just such a, a dear person. I'm still in touch with him. Um, so guys like that are certainly spectacular. But there's guys like uh, like Bill Guerin. Mm-hmm. Um, one year when uh, we were 
chartering out of Teterboro back in the day before they still let, when they still let big planes land at Teterboro. We came back and it had been a snowstorm. So all the guys get off the plane, they run out, they jump in their car and it had snowed. So now my little car, they're on their SUVs. They're just driving away with the snow flying down Route 17. So I come out my my poor little car and I was like two in the morning because you've flown home from somewhere overnight. And I start, get I get the snow scraper out and I start, you know, de-icing and scraping my car. And I look on the other side and there's Bill Guerin. And Bill Guerin has come out of his car and is now cleaning off my car. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the general manager of the Minnesota Wild is a, <laughs> really a clutch guy. Uh, so I really enjoyed him. Guys, goalies, of course, are always fun. So Craig Billington, who I knew from the time he was 18, I ended up going to his wedding. You know, just he's a, and he's another guy who thought outside the box. I think he started a goalie school at age 16. You know, so it's just, just, it just, there's just cool people. Craig Bolanon's another guy who was this big, like, I forgot what he was, 6'3", 200 something pounds, but he didn't have a mean bone in his body. And of course the devils want him to go out there and just, just crush guys. And he was like, you know, he played solidly, but he just, he didn't have that mean streak in him. And I just liked that he was just sort of the, like the, I guess the gentle giant, you would say. I always, I always enjoyed his company. There was, there was a lot of guys. There's a lot of, there was a lot of really fun players. Um, those are, those are the three non-star guys, I guess you would say that, that come to mind right away. Oh, great story. Especially that one about Billy Garen, but he is yeah. such a gentleman, you know. And then Stefan Roche, because somebody would always leave a rose on his car. <laughs> so it'd be like underneath the windshield. So I would usually get the roses. He would like, you know, yeah. I, I feel bad now if I've, if I've let something go from this person who left him flowers every time. It's kind of strange to know somebody knows your car, but he would, so I would get roses from Rich, And I loved him too. And he, he was, he was, a lot, he was just so many really nice guys and, and fun guys. What a great, what a great talent he was, and he's somebody we're trying to get on this speak mm. of the devil's podcast. But he's been reticent uh, over the years. And yeah, he, would, I know. He, would, he has a great story to tell. He does, but I, you know, I can understand he's a little shy about it. I guess you would say, but but you're right. He has a great story to tell, and he's and with that French accent, it would be it would sound good too. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry, what what's next for you? I know you mentioned you're retired, but can anybody ever actually retire? I know you're you're so used to being so busy, right? I know, but I got to tell you, once you slow down, you go, this isn't so bad. <laughs> uh, if, you know, barring a pandemic, of course, I'd probably be doing more traveling and things like that. I don't know if I'd get back into full time work again. Certainly, if the right opportunity cropped up, I would. Um, I was held back a little bit. My I right after I was forced into retirement, unfortunately, my father's health started failing. He passed away last year. So during those years, I really couldn't follow or pursue any other uh, jobs that would take me far from home. I had to be, you know, close by. So we'll see if something comes up. I'm not actively seeking it, but there, there may be, again, when the pandemic is over and things open up, I may start thinking, I would like to try something different. I may maybe involved with hockey, but something new, or maybe back to something with the women's league. I'm not sure. So we'll see what happens. But um, right now, I'm pretty happy. I was happy working. I'm happy doing this. I'm just, I guess I'm just happy. <laughs> happy is a great place to be. And you literally great... stole the words out of my mouth, Matt. <laughs> I was going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great state to be. And Sherry, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I know there are well, let's see, I've got about 27 more questions that I could ask. And I'm <laughs> going to ask this one before we say goodbye. 
what would be a sport? You now you've done the play-by-play on the hockey side. You've done the commentary on the hockey side. Mm-hmm. What's a sport that if you had the chance, they said, pick one that you would call, would it be horse racing? Would there be a race you'd want to call or is there another sport you'd want to do? Well, you got it right on the first one because horse racing is my second passion in terms of sports. And as hard as hockey play-by-play is, I think to call a horse race like the Kentucky Derby with 20 horses in two minutes and change, I can't think of anything that would be harder. I would want to try it off mic first to put like six horses <laughs> in a mile and a half race. So I would have time to sort things out. I don't know how they do it. I just, and they do race, these race call guy, uh, race call guys like um, Larry Colmas. They just go race after race, after race, after race with what, 25, 30 minutes in between. I don't know how they do it. I think and, that's and one the, of the colors hardest. change all the time. It's like, it's not yeah. the same horses or the same jockeys. Everything right. changes. And sometimes you have two owners with the same silks. So all they do is change the hat color, the cap color. So you're watching like, is this, this horse? Or is this? I, I don't, I don't know how they do it. It's the hardest thing. And there was actually a woman race caller a year or so ago at Golden Gate in California. And I'm like, oh, good. Women are starting to get into race calling too. That'd be excellent. I don't know if I could do it, but it was just one of those things you go, let me try it just one time. Let me see how hard it really is. Is it as hard as I think? Which I do. I do think it's as hard as I think, but that would be like one of those bucket list kind of blast things to try. Well, I'm sure you'd be a success. Uh, you might have to have that six no horse tryout. I, I would need a six horse. Yeah. Six horse field. And like I said, really like a slow mile and a half race. So I could have time <laughs> to adjust everything. They wouldn't be going like these lickety split uh, quarters. So, but that's, that would definitely, you, Matt, you got You know me, you got it right on one. Yeah, I mean, I kind of was leading the witness. I should have just left it out there. What would you do? Yeah, like Sherry, Sherry, would you want to do golf? I'm like, oh, no, I would, that's the last thing I'd want to do. <laughs> yeah, the opposite of horse racing. Hey, anybody who's, opposite. whose favorite athlete, four-legged or two-legged, or at least on that list, is secretariat, you know how yes. much horse racing means to a person. Exactly. Yeah, that, that was pretty clear. I led the witness. I'm guilty as charged. But anyway, it was great to spend some time with you. And uh, I know that our audience is happy to hear more about your path and more what you're doing. So thanks so much. Okay. Yeah, thank we, you, know, we will see you at a game soon. Sounds real good. Thank you. Congrats on the new house, honey. What's this? Carbon monoxide detectors? Yeah, but one on every level. Because you can't see or smell carbon monoxide. And when fuel-burning appliances aren't working right, CO can build up and be deadly. Guys, I'm on it. We just want to know you're safe. At PSENG, we're committed to your family's safety. Know how to prevent carbon monoxide poisoning. If your CO detector goes off, leave immediately. Then call 911. Protect the ones you love. Learn more at PSEG.com slash gas safety. I'm not sure how long that went. I'd say half hour or so, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. But either way, the time flew. Such great stories from Sherry. And I'm glad that uh, she was able to spend some time with us and, and privileged that she was able to give us some of her time to share her thoughts and experiences with our audience. Uh, really uh, just uh, an amazing woman. Privilege is the right word to use because she is uh, inspiring her stories. And I mean, we could have, yeah, we talked to her for 30 minutes. We could have gone on for, like you said, you have 27 more questions, right? Like, mm-hmm. could have talked to her all day if we could. <laughs> <laughs> no question about it. You know, one of the things I would have liked to have spoken to her about, because I, uh, I still get people who ask the question, and I know when we were working together, many people came up to her, but she 
wrote a hockey scouting report uh, during each off season that was really much read. I, I don't know, maybe she did for 15 years or thereabouts. Oh. Yeah. And so she was doing a lot of that work that people now take for granted, right? Everyone's got it. And it wasn't analytics, but it was an in-depth look at what was going on with hockey players. And, um, you know, she was ahead of her time in that respect too. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people remember that. So uh, pretty cool to spend some time with Sherry. So I want to circle back though, to a story that you told in the introduction. So you take this tour and your eyes are wide open and wow, this is it. So what is it like for you now that you're on the other side, if you will, people come up to you and go, Hey, Jessica, like, I see what you've done. I like your work. And now you are inspiring uh, another group of people that have followed in your footprints or potentially will follow in your footprints. Yeah, that's an interesting question, Matt. Um, I mean, since I entered the industry, um, I guess it was 10 years ago now, a lot has changed, right? Everything's so digital now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of jobs have been cut. Um, there's one person's doing the work of five people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's changed a lot. But one thing that always will remain constant is I think your passion for the industry and the people who come up to you and say, I appreciate your work. I love that story you did on XYZ. X, Y, yeah, I was going to say Z, the Z is Canadian, <laughs> X, Y, Z, I said that right. <laughs> Trying to speak to my new demographic, but right, it's the, people, it's the people that come up to you and say, I love your work you did. I love this story you did. I love the angle you took on it, right? I think that's kind of what fuels my fire. And it's, it's knowing that you are reaching your audience and they're liking what you put out there too, right? Because you don't just do this for yourself. You do this for everybody else. You do this for the fans and, and you want them to enjoy and, and, and believe what you're saying. You're painting a picture for them, right? And they want to enjoy it. For sure. And so the roads, the teams met in Gothenburg, Edmonton and the Devils. You're there for Edmonton. Now you're here for the Devils. Is the fact that the Devils won that game? Part of the reason you've come over to this side? You know what? I think you might be right on that. (laughs) You nailed it. How did you know? Well, you know, listen, you always want to be on the bright side of things. No question. (laughs) Kidding, of course. But it's been great uh, to spend some time with you and to get to share this first uh, work assignment with you and looking forward to more, Jessica. Yeah. Thanks so much for uh, sharing the podcast with me, Matt. And uh, yeah, looking forward to getting in it. Absolutely. Jessica Kent joining us on this edition of Speak of the Devils with our special guest, Sherry Ross. Speak of the Devils is presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. Thank you so much for your company. We appreciate all our listeners wherever you are. Until next time, be safe, be well. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.